VMI Online, JBA here, and welcome to another episode of Diversity and Mentorship in Investing, a limited series where we chat with some incredible angels, VC investors about diversity in investing each week. Are you looking to start or grow your startup but feel like you can't get to that next level? Well, DMI listeners, we have several profile high communities that are startup incubator focused, specifically geared for you. Visit VentureC.com forward slash incubator to apply and join the growing number of funded startup businesses. Incubators are one of the best ways to get honest and direct feedback to strengthen the possibility to get funding. So apply now as there are a limited number of spots available. VentureSeed.com. Now let's get ready to chat with our featured guest, Taj Ahmad Elridge. Taj, are you ready to have a conversation about diversity and mentorship in investing? Absolutely, Jeremy. Let's go. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So Taj Ahmad Elridge is a 25 plus year investment professional whose career has included high level executive roles in banking, asset management, alternative investments, and entrepreneurship. As a general partner of Include Venture Partners, Eldridge has built a long-standing career with expertise in fields of fine fintech, media, energy, transportation, and the circular economy. He's also one of the 70 Black investors in Beve.com, a $325 million virtual conference platform as noted in Afrotech. He has been named one of the 53 investors to watch in 2021 by PitchBook and 101 Black Titans in tech while nurturing and building a team of investment activists. He began his career as a banker and economist with Wells Fargo, UBS Investment Bank, and TRW Investments. He's also been a founder, a board member, and investor in companies such as ILTG Media, Boswell Official Apparel, Vorter, and others. So, Taj, just take a step back and tell our listeners about growing up and what made you the man you are today. Well, Jeremy, great. Number one, thank you so much for, for inviting me on the podcast. And I look forward to, to speaking and, and giving some information to your listeners about my background. What makes me the man I am today? I'll be honest. And, and this might seem, seem a little out, out of feel for being a venture, but it's the album, My Philosophy by Boogie Down Productions hmm. that, that made me. And, and if I may, as to why, this is the 50th anniversary of hip hop. I'm nearing 50 myself. So I grew up with this art form and this art form for me was about really storytelling. And I think venture investing, I think startups, it's also about storytelling too. It's the solutions and the products that we give, but it's the stories behind those that really push things forward. Whether it's the story of, of how Elon Musk started Tesla and why he started Tesla, what is the story behind so many different products of so Facebook, whatever that has been turned into a movie. Storytelling has been a a huge part of my career in venture and investing. Interesting. So I obviously I have a background in uh, uh, entertainment and, you know, a few startups I belong to that are in entertainment field. And as an actor, screenwriter, uh, former, you know, playwright, storytelling is super critical. And even obviously we don't talk about in the finance world, but yeah, the the stories are so important. And I know you're into uh, clean tech and, and climate tech, which we'll get into in a second. But yeah, I think storytelling is is super important. And so that's interesting. You mentioned about the hip hop story and the 50th anniversary. So I guess the the leading to that question, like what type of music, because I know you're an avid music lover, did you always kind of uh, transverse the genres or is it more of just, okay, it depends on the beat or the artist? Like how do you see music in general? 
I love it. Good question, man. I love all types of music because I feel like that's what gives me. Um, I've been a, I, I started out playing saxophone myself. Love jazz. Many people may may if there are jazz fans and blues fans, they re- may remember an artist by the name of Taj Mahal. Mm. I used to like to say I was named like Taj Mahal, but I wasn't. Uh, you know, so it's it's a great connection there. My wife was a chamber singer, so very wow. much in those bones, and my son. As a film composer going to USC. So music has played a big part of my life, both personally and professionally. Wow. And I actually, alto sax, berry sax was my instrument of choice in, in high school and college. What did you, which uh, <laughs> of the saxophone? It was alto, man. It was alto. That That is, uh, you know, and, and that, for, for those who don't know, soprano, alto, baritone. Mm-hmm. For me, I was a very little kid, so baritone was too big for me to have. (laughs) Me too, but I I, I managed to do it somehow. (laughs) The the soprano was too close to the clarinet for me, and and I was not, I did not want to be the clarinet player. I I thought the saxophone was was very hip. It was cool. Back when I was young, there was this movie that came out called uh, More Better Blues, and the saxophone Mm -hmm, player there mm -hmm. was like, Wesley Snipes played this character, Shadow Henderson, and it was just like, okay, the sax was that. So needless to say, well, my son chose the clarinet as his instrument of choice. I was a little bit hurt, but at least it was in the woodwind. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I say everyone has their own their own preference, but that's that's cool. Very good. Uh, interesting to note. So actually, I want to switch topics a little bit and talk a little bit about the not just the asset firm and the management firm that you're uh, a part of, but you mentioned something about achieving alpha while also advancing equity. So how does that? play and what are your thoughts around that you know you can do good while doing social you can do good while having diverse investors or a diverse group of, of founders how important is that for not just your firm but you personally and of course you know going in that direction as a diverse investor yeah well i'll start by saying my educational background and the reason i'm going to mention this because i think it's going to be of clarity than my answer i'm going to say in undergrad i was a poetry and literature major hence going back to the love of hip-hop and music but as I got older, my MBA is in international economics and then did a PhD program in economics. So if you truly look from, from this standpoint, from an economic standpoint, America is really a consumer-based economy, mm-hmm. a consumer-based capitalist economy. Therefore, the more people who have money to spend, um, the better our economy would be to a degree, right? And so I think that there's been a lot, lot of lost opportunity with the lack of diversity and, and, and the policies around housing, around entrepreneurship, around business, are so many things of wealth building that could have made this country just it, perform even better than before. So I think from a from a standpoint of fund managers and, and this idea of investing in in in, in diversity and in, including alpha, what we have to think about is that you know I think in the past many people looked at in, investing in diversity as more of a charitable do good. I look at it as an economic do good that is going to bring a lot of opportunities there. One of the things we also say is that for us, diversity, when we say that word um, and inclusion, we mean more than just race and gender. We mm-hmm. also mean geographic diversity. You may have heard this term of Zoom towns, where people who have yes. lived during the pandemic, they left their big, big cities, moved to smaller areas where either they were from or their parents were from or just what have you, to save money, build a family and like their life, but still work remotely. Even this great tech debacle of, of jobs that are that are going away, those very people are sitting in those cities and saying, okay, do I stay here? Do I go back and try to find a job? And I think a lot of them are going to say, I'm going to stay here, either find a job or create one. So I think it's going to be a boon of a lot of different opportunities for fund managers to invest 
in companies and founders who are outside of those city centers. And also, too, I think it's going to be really interesting because those companies outside of the city centers will have lower run, uh, you know, run rates because they'll have lower costs of, of, of capital that'll be used in front of, for where they're at, depending on where they're at. So I think it's just, again, this idea of inclusion, the other is sustainability, of course, I'm clean tech and alpha, is this idea of economics more than just, just doing the right thing. Absolutely. And something you mentioned about the lower cost of capital, you know, at Venture C, that's one of the things where I used to, you know, as a former uh, hedge fund guy, say cash is king, right? And I, I've always believed that, you know, to to this day. And it's funny because the lower cost of economics now, you're trying to, most companies with, you know, the stuff that's going on in the markets uh, are trying to find that that alpha, trying to find that lower cost and efficiency. And I 100% agree those Zoom town, that term that I'm familiar with, you definitely have that kind of being focused on because, you know, the same thing you can do as, you know, depending where you're living, New York or California, a high expensive state with the same business, you know, the same human capital economics could be a higher ROI if you have a lower runway. So that's, that's very uh, insightful there and a hundred percent agreeing with you in that way. Yeah. Love to talk to a little bit more about your background as it relates to the banking area. And I think I say that because we know the S. VB <laughs> system yeah. bank, you know, and then people, you know, years ago think, oh, you know, you have the recession, you have the Great Depression, you have all the Great Recession. And so banks, you remember, I remember back in the Lehman and Bear days, you thought it was unheard of, right? And now this whole process again, that it's such a, uh, a tumultuous, uh, uh, fine line of, you know, managing risk and managing capital. And how do you think that's going to kind of reverberate? In the ecosystem as a whole, but you mentioned geographic globally, right? It's, it's so interconnected. Um, and things are so interconnected and they'll probably stay that way for the, the foreseeable future. What is that economic impact on the minority communities or geographic communities, maybe other poor countries that when things like this happen, send shockwaves across the, uh, you know, the ecosystem for capital? Oh, we can have a whole dissertation discussion today about currency implications of now so many countries move away from the dollar, which then in terms mm-hmm. of the impact that we're doing and banking. You know, I, I worked for Wells Fargo years ago and, and I started out in, in consumer banking um, and then I went into corporate banking. Um, and ironically, I was at one of the divisions where we merged with Norwest Bank and the first kind of, but one of many, I should say, a lot of consolidations that occurred. And we, we I was working in tech banking and it was kind of the first time that banks were looking at technology especially for the corporate and host and their business customers. I, I think the SBB is sad. You know, I, I've been a big fan of SBB because they've been one of the few banks that really truly supported the tech ecosystem without just lip service. I, I sincerely think there were a lot of the banks, a lot of big banks who said they supported it, mm-hmm. but their, the mechanisms of risk for their lending and other types of tools were not appropriate for the, the community. And I think, you know, SBB did it. That's why I had a huge market share. I mean, there were other banks that came along that tried to, like Square One Bank, um, that, that was around for a bit before they merged with another. But I, I look, I'll be honest, I look at the banking community similar to I look at life. Life is a series of valleys and peaks, lives and depths. And, and I think that not all things will, will continue. I, I sincerely believe that things are, are made for that moment. And I think Silicon Valley Bank was for that moment that we had. My hope and my prayer is that other banks and other opportunities will step up. And there's been a lot, you know, there's been some regional, some, some CDFIs that say that are looking at ways to, to influence the federal government to change some of the laws to allow them to really dig into the venture, the venture community. 
Um, there are some smaller Black-owned banks who are looking at the same things, and this is probably a time for us to kind of think about it. Of course, there are larger banks who are taking advantage of this, Morgan Chase mm-hmm. and others. But but I sincerely think that there are. This is um, an interesting time, and again, it's it's you know a lot of people may think okay when 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 that bank occurred when the, when the sellout occurred, you know it changed the landscape and it definitely impacted the area. I mean, clean tech would would have a lot of their venture debt that they did, but but I think it also creates opportunity, right? I think it creates opportunity where there's a vacuum now, and and I and I can say the one thing about America is that we are opportunist. For better or for worse, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> yes. I think that um, I think there will be some people who take advantage of that opportunity. Completely, completely, and that's a good summary of um, at least the environment that it is uh, currently situated to. You know, I think for twenty twenty three and even twenty twenty four. So, thank you for that. Uh, wanted to shift something you said about community, which I agree with in that way, where you have a player to CEO athlete investor impact summit um, that you had done with J P Morgan, and so how does that? kind of portend with the idea of community. There's a lot of other, you know, other investors have talked about community, community, but I think sometimes, you know, if you think of like the athletes, right? And okay, they have a lot of disposable uh, ability to impact their communities, not just from a sports perspective, but other areas in the tech, clean tech and other verticals. Like how does that, and what, how, did, how did that come to be? Yeah, well, I have to give a shout out to two people who, who, who partnered with me there. One is a good friend of mine, Baron Davis, who, who played in the NBA. Another one who spoke then was Matt Barnes, who also an NBA player. The, to be honest, the whole thing actually came from my family. One, one of my cousins played in the NBA, and one of them did not. Uh, one of the cousins is Mario Chalmers, who, of course, played with the mm. Heat, as he was known for. And then uh, uh, he's a second second cousin. And then the first cousin is Kelvin Chalmers, who was a star in Texas for Baylor University and then didn't quite make it to, to the NBA, but played overseas and what have you. And, uh, you know, through through them too and others that I knew from those relationships, I started seeing this 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 transaction where a lot of the players would would go into the NBA and leave, and then they would you know they kind of foster some going to television, others just you know dealerships or what have you. But a lot of that network that they had and a lot of the goodwill that they had was was unused. And and Baron and I often talk about this: is that it's less about them having disposable income; it's more about them having this network and also this competition, mm. this drive, right? Because I think that I think that that's been, been key. So one of the things we've been focusing on is not only former athletes as investors, but also former athletes as founders. And I think on the investor side, what we get excited about, what Baron and I often talk about is that you have a lot of athletes who may play for teams who are not in those big markets of LA, New York, and San Francisco, right? right? And, and they're in these smaller markets and they may be able to influence what's happening there, whether it's the folks who play in, in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma, you know, area with paycom.com that's there who now owns the arena on Milwaukee or some other areas. And I think that's what excited me about it. Um, and I think also too, you know, I've seen this proliferation, right? You know, we've seen Serena Ventures launch her fund. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've been excited about what she's done. We've seen Allison Felix, who's a good family friend and her brother launched Crenshaw Ventures and so many others. And so, I don't think that you. That I don't think that you're going to stop to that. I, I think it just again goes to this idea of this competitiveness that these athletes have, and to not only you know winning the game, running the running the track, but also having the best uh, TV, TVPI, the best IRR in their fund, and it just easily translates. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, to that point, you know, I'm going to shift to the the uh, one of the last questions before we go to the lightning round: the climate 
and the clean tech and obviously the pledges, obviously a lot of pledges out there and then a lot of projects. And so what is your take on that climate clean tech ecosystem, you know, pledges versus uh, projects and how globally are we in the right direction, headed in the right direction, both as, as investors, but also as uh, companies that are trying to push, you know, the agenda. Cause sometimes you can see everyone's trying to do their own thing <laughs> and solve their own problems, but collectively, do you feel that's, you know, moving, um, the investments are moving in the right direction? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, I often say, I, I, you know, I remember when we call climate tech, clean tech. And I used to say, I've been in clean tech ever since it was a dirty word. Mm. And, and I don't know if we're a kid, we used, to, we used to try to beg, I used to work in an accelerator that was focused on climate. And we would have to beg fund managers to come because nobody was interested in it. Everybody remember the cylinder days, and money they lost, and mm. the problems with yeah. that. And then something happened right at the top of the pandemic. And I think what happened for me at the pandemic was this confluence of the youth generation. The youth generation definitely pushed a lot of the conversation around climate, whether it's from their YA book, young adult books, from their movies, anything like that. I think that really focused. Then I think also, too, people started seeing that this, this little disease, this pandemic impacted everything in this world. Yeah. And I think that made people kind of stop looking, listen and say, okay, well, that really hurt. And that, that, you know, it didn't matter what return we made in 2018, 20, you know, this just wiped out a lot of the opportunity. And so I think that's what brought a lot of companies and, and, and funds towards climate. Now, you know, I've been in climate for a decade, so not as long as a lot of my colleagues have been. Um, and and I often say uh, the gateway drug for me was uh, apparel and clothing. Um, I started seeing a lot of waste in the apparel space, but, but I think that, you know, there, there are some people who I would call climate curious and people mean funds and firms that are climate curious, meaning that they're not all the way in or tipping, tiptoeing in. Um, and me personally, I think that's okay because I think that we need to, we need to have a big 10 strategy around what climate is. The other point that you've made about the collaboration, um, I often tell the story when, when I first came to Los Angeles from Texas, there was a street called Western who people who live here may know mm-hmm. very well. On each side of those streets, there's these churches on like every every block, there's a, a church. And each of those churches are, are raising money from the congregation to build their building. Mm. And I'm just like, then they're the same denomination. Like, why don't they just gather together <laughs> right. and like build it, right? And there, there's this old African proverb that says, many hands make light work. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's how I view the climate space is. You know, whether you're fund managers, whether you're accelerator folks, whether you're corporate partners, whether you're, you're nonprofits or community organizations. Okay, we, we need to kind of tackle one thing at a time. And, you know, there are some who are saying, oh, we, we need to get to net zero. There are some who are saying that, you know, we need to focus on waste reduction. We need to focus on water quality. And, and there's so many things. But my whole thing is like, you know, there's a scene in this, in this show called Snowfall where the character says brick by brick, he built it. For me, brick by brick is how we need to find the solutions. Mm. You know, so it's definitely, definitely about collaboration that I'm looking for, especially when we work in this space. That makes sense. And the last question, you know, looking at that as a uh, next generation, Gen Z, even millennials, but Gen Z, you know, the the one behind where they're pushing, but then you know, investing is one part, but the mentorship is another part. And I talk, you know, rarely talked about the mentorship about how uh, investing in the next generation, but them also being investors as the next generation, oh, investors who are investing in climate change, I think is just as important in in that scheme. 
It is. It is. Uh, and, and I think, you know, even for me and my firm, I, uh, and, and I'm going to give him his flowers today. Um, I hired a young gentleman literally while he was still in college at USC, um, Brandon, Brandon Gunning. Mm. Shout out to Brandon. I hired him at my firm because number one, he's very smart. Number two, I don't believe in this idea, even though I have, you know, several graduate degrees, I, I'm beginning to think about there's less a need for a degree and more need for skills. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for people with the right skills versus the right paper. And so for me, he had the skills. He, he was an intern for me at Lacey before. And he's a perfect example of, I think, the youth, a Gen Z individual, but the youth who are who are, have the capacity now to not only be a, be a part of the solution, but be active in, the, in those solutions as well. So, I, you know, I, I think the good thing about it, though, is that especially in the, in the Black community and in the, in the, in the underrepresented community, there are several programs that are getting these individuals into spaces, whether it's Pledge LA here in LA, or there's HBCU.VC that's, that's, you know, broad within the United States. You know, the good thing about that is, is there are these programs that are definitely placing these young, young voices into the space. But one thing I'm always interested in is we have to go further. It's placing, not only placing these young voices there, but giving them the tools and the leadership yes. ability to make these decisions so they can be fully a part of the, the change. Because, you know, the way I look at, I'm like I said, I'm nearing 50. My Brandon was, was in his 20s. We look, we may see things similar, similarly, but we may see things differently because he has a, you know, I think his generation has a different horizon, time horizon than I do. Yeah. So yeah. I definitely think that it's important, but I also think it's important not just to give them a voice, but to give them a voice with power. Correct. It's like being a board observer versus, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, an actual board member. So completely agree in that. And thanks for that analogy there. We're going to stop there for now and move on to what we call the lightning round. And we'll play the lightning round right after a word from our sponsor. If you're an angel or crowdfunding investor, you know how tough it can be to find the right deal flow or syndicate to join. That's where ETF Angels comes into play. As an ETF fund, we pull the best pre-seed level startups together on a one umbrella to better diversify your assets and investments. Whether you are a seasoned investor or making your first startup investment, do it with the confidence and support of diverse investors like yourself. Join the investors that have already made a switch by switching to ventureseed.com forward slash communities to learn more and apply. And we're back on DMI with Taj. Now, for those of you who don't know how the lightning round is played, here's how it goes. We ask our guests two questions of which one of those questions must be answered correctly in order to win the prize. Now the guest will have 30 seconds to answer these questions. So Taj, are you ready to play the lightning round? I am ready. Awesome. Cool. So we'll have 30 seconds and here we go. Question number one. According to IEA.org, which tracks clean energy statistics, as well as the announced pledges and the announced projects, who, in terms of which country, has more announced energy projects, the European Union or the United States? The announced gets me every time. Let, let's go with the EU. Okay. Uh, question number two. True or false? While clean tech and climate tech are different and cover different areas, there are some areas like transportation and supply chain that overlap. True. Cool. You got you got them both. <laughs> the, Europe, the Europe one was uh, a little tricky because it definitely the announced versus projects and pledges. Yeah. You got them both. So awesome, man. Congratulations. Uh, successfully yeah. passed the lighting round. And so we'll talk about the prize after. But uh, stay right there as we'll have a final word from our sponsors. 
Are you an entrepreneur who's trying to grow your business or an investor who wants to better understand the economics of a startup? Well, DMI listeners, subscribe to our VC Open newsletter where you'll receive some of the best advice on raising capital for your startup all for free. There's no commitment. So go to vcopened.ventureseed.com. That's vcopened.ventureseed.com or visit ventureseed.com for the direct link. And we're back and you've been hanging out with Taj and Jeremy. Well, Taj, I want to thank you again for coming on the show, being part of this program. I think we've gained an incredible amount of value insights from your journey today. So whenever you're ready, I want to end today on DMI with parting piece of guidance you can provide to our listeners and the best way we can connect with you. And then we'll say goodbye. Great. Well, Jeremy, number one, thank you so much again. This is I, I love coming on podcasts where the questions are different, they're unique. And, and it gives me an opportunity to talk about things that I haven't talked about before and give the audience to, an opportunity to learn about the things they haven't learned before. So, uh, you know, for one piece of advice, and it's interesting, I would say that, you know, there, there is a, a lot of people who are looking for opportunities. And, and I think there are a lot of people, like I mentioned, who, who are going through layoffs from their companies. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always said is that if anybody looked at my background and looked at what I went through from a health standpoint, I always say that humans are resilient, but we are the most resilient when we find out what our purpose is. I, you know, when, when I invest, I'm not looking at what I do as just venture capital, venture investing. I look at it as purpose investing because there's a purpose in what I do. So I always tell people, you know, when you, when you go towards your purpose, even in, even in tech and entrepreneurship and venture, you will always find happiness and it'll be more than a job. And therefore, you, it wouldn't matter how many hours you work. It wouldn't matter what you're doing. You just love to do it. Yeah. To find me, LinkedIn, definitely, definitely look me under Taj Ahmad Eldridge. One key to find me is that I'm always wearing a hat. And the reason <laughs> for that is the hats are made out of sustainable materials, circular economy, definitely. Um, on Twitter, you may find me at Econo Ahmad, E C O N O A H M A D, where I post so many things and, and talk about a lot of this stuff in the climate space, in the diversity, underrepresented space, in the tech space. Uh, uh, Instagram as well, but I must admit, Instagram and TikTok, both of them have the same. They kind of mine. I am not as proficient there because I'm a lover of words versus pictures. So, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, Twitter uh, allows me to post my, my Spotify playlist more so than, uh, than Instagram and TikTok. So I'm there. But I, I would say I'm loving, if I could say the audience, if there's one account you should follow on TikTok, fifth wall ventures or fifth wall bc i love how and they they invest in the built environment uh, which is buildings anything has to do with buildings so not something as sexy as we think about it but i love their content i love how they make what they invest in relevant towards that platform and i'm looking forward for us to do it as well so definitely those are those are three pieces of information for this Awesome. Awesome. And I have to say, I do love the hats and some of your profiles. So we didn't get to that specifically, but you know, definitely uh, want to thank you again for coming on the show and, and providing tremendous value to our listeners. And we'll definitely chat soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeremy.